This is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast, where regular people on a quest to discover the treasures in God's Word. And uh, this week it's a real adventure because we are recording remotely via Skype. Uh, it's the first time we've tried to do this, other than a little test call earlier this week, and we're already having glitches this morning. But uh, I see faces in front of me. A couple of them aren't moving at all. Um, but uh, so if <laughs> audio sounds odd, it's because uh, we're trying something new here. And um, hopefully this is going to work out for us. So here on my screen, we're going to go. I've got Karen on the left. What? And... Are we going? Did we start yet? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've been recording for a minute and a half. Karen, where you been? <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's Karen. Um, maybe a little less perceptive than usual. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, up on my upper right, I see Eric. Hey, good morning. And then on my lower right, I have Tracy. Uh, Morning. I don't know what just happened to Eric. I think he, uh, I think he just choked on his coffee. <laughs> Sorry, Tracy. Good to have you here, man. Yeah. Morning. Yeah. So we're doing the recording because, uh, as some of you may have noticed around the world, we are experiencing a pandemic, and we are social distancing because. We are all aware of the fact that uh, you can, in fact, transmit things uh, by being in proximity. Because if you all remember, a few weeks ago, we all caught a cold that Matt had. So, oh man, we are all yeah. trying our best not to catch the next hot thing. And, and so far, this virus cannot be transmitted via computer. So far. So far. <laughs> it is a virus, so let's just uh, knock on wood here. Yes. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> All right, so what are we diving into today, Matt? All right, well, uh, as you might recall, it's been several weeks for us while we were trying to figure out how to do this thing. Uh, but now, um, so we're going to just, I'm just going to recap here briefly. We had just talked about uh, Jacob and his wrestling with God at, um, oh shoot, where was that? Um, it had a name. Well, know. this isn't at Bethel. It's It's the place before... It's Penuel. Yes, yeah, thank you. Penuel there it is. or something like that. Yeah. So uh, he had just gone through all of that. He had gotten an official name change to Israel, although he barely gets called that here in the future. Uh, there's a couple times where he's referred to as Israel in the text, but mostly he's still called <laughs> Jacob by everybody, including uh, the writer of, of Genesis. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. It, 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 that I guess... That almost strikes me funny just to start out because we've had so many other people people who have been given new names and they immediately started being called by that name. Um, Abram to Abraham. I mean, I know that even here on the podcast, I just kept having a hard time bouncing back and forth, kept goofing up and uh, because immediately they were called by that new name. But but uh, Jacob, for some reason, even though he's Israel, uh retains that name Jacob in, in everything written down. But I don't know. It's just a, it's a curiosity. I don't think it matters. Well, so, as the founder of the nation, the nation does carry his name, but he himself yeah. never seems to go by it. Yeah. Yeah. So he's on his way back home. He finally left uh, Laban's house and he was taking his family. There was a whole kerfuffle about that between him and Laban. And, but they're, they're on their way. And, Jacob is feeling a little nervous still about going to meet his brother Esau. 
who, as you might recall, uh, they had they didn't have the greatest of relationships. They were uh, well, Jacob was constantly uh, getting things from Esau that Esau either didn't care about or just didn't care enough about it to be on guard. So you know he had he had gotten the the spiritual blessing and. Esau was kind of left without that. But anyway, he's headed back. And he's, uh, like I said, he's a little nervous about it. And the first thing he does is he starts to divide up his family, apparently. So if one part gets killed, (laughs) the rest are left. I mean, it starts right off here with more of that favoritism that we've been seeing in family structures where... He, when the way he divides up his family is by essentially by the mothers of the children, and he starts. Uh, he puts the maid servants. I don't have their names right in front of us, but he puts them with their children in front, followed by Leah, who we know is the wife that he actually married, but didn't necessarily want, and her children, and then way in the back, he has Rachel with. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, Joseph. Joseph. And did he have? Did she have Benjamin yet? No. I don't think she had Benjamin. So it was just Rachel and Benjamin at that point. Uh, Joseph. He puts, Joseph. Yes, thank you. Rachel and Joseph. But at least he has the decency to put himself in front. Yeah, so, at some point, yeah, they're they're playing kind of a a little bit of a shell game here. It's kind of hard to tell what's happening. But at the very yeah. end, he does arrive at the front and he does greet his brother and he um it's interesting there's lots of clues here about how he's doing this it mentions that he's limping mm-hmm. and so he he comes up and uh, that might have been in, in uh chapter 32 but he, then he in uh verse 3 he's uh, bowing to the ground seven times mm-hmm. so he's definitely showing um his brother hey man i'm i'm uh I'm not here to take your stuff because the last Esau knew because they hadn't been Skyping a whole lot (laughs) is that, uh, you know, Jacob had stolen the birthright and he takes off for another land and here he's coming back and Esau would be not incorrect to assume, Hey, here comes Jacob. He's going to want everything back. I've been running the family farm for how much, what, 20 years now almost. Yeah. And increasing father's goods. And now, you know, here comes Jacob and he's going to want to take it. I mean, that would be the natural assumption, because as far as Esau knows, Jacob hasn't changed. He doesn't know. Right. And it would be something to be worried about. Yeah, you know, legitimately. Just yeah. in essence, it's, you know, I've stayed here. I've worked so long and so hard for it. And technically, it would be his. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. Oh, there's nothing left to think about that then okay he's coming here to get his stuff you know i just now i got a little bit of a prodigal son vibe off of this yep that's yep. occurred to me too and where um it, it's a little different because jacob didn't really leave to find his fortune the way the prodigal son did or actually squander a fortune he mostly left because there was a pretty good chance that esau might have killed him back then Um, but here he is coming back and you still got the son who was there the whole time working on everything and doing everything. And then you potentially have somebody coming back. Who's going to take it, take 
take things. And in this case, it's someone who was literally promised things. Yeah. So it's a real, real issue. I think it's pretty cool in verse four that um, Jacob and Esau embrace. And I mean, it's the, the forgiveness thing begins. And it's interesting that uh, Jacob, through all of this, has been sending Esau gifts. And that is partially to say, hey, look, I'm all set up. I'm not here to take your stuff. And they do, they do uh, reconcile as much as they reconcile. And I'm sure that Esau's men are like, wait a minute, I, we all packed up here to, to, uh, fight. To, to fight. And now you're just hugging the guy and like, we all go home now? What's up with that? Yeah. You know, I wonder if that's all part of the plan, though. You know what I mean? We have to be, we have to be broken and maybe humbled, and then the others see that, and that causes a, a softening of their heart. I absolutely, Tracy. I think you're, I think you're absolutely right about that. You know, because I think it's it's hard to to um, be angry at somebody when you you see them at their most vulnerable part. You know, they're in in life you know to see him on a journey to see him breaking up his family to see him you know limping and broken and i said he looked fragile he just got done fighting all night you know so to me he looked he looked in essence you know not to to trivialize it but he looked kind of pathetic to, for somebody that was there for war yeah yeah now at what point did Jacob send all the gifts. That was that was before he was wrestling, right? Yeah, that's actually back in the middle of yeah. um, yeah. chapter 32. Across the, the brook or yeah. the river before that, in the evening, because then that's when he kind of, you know, the way it is described, he was out in the wilderness in a in a bad part of town, if you want to say that. So, mm -hmm. you know, he was, and he was by himself. Yeah. Yeah, so Jacob had kind of softened things already on the way uh, i'm sure that probably helped a little bit because i i mean he i think he didn't he send him soften him up because he sent gifts remember and and they came back and you know with really no no idea still what was going to happen yeah right yep so, so but yeah that uh that number seven showed up there when he was bowing down jacob was bowing down in front of esau as he as he came across and remember that number seven is complete it's like it's like jacob is telling his brother look i i really 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 um hope that uh hope that things could be good between us yeah and it's it's a it's a complete you know that seven is complete <clears throat> yep so they do part ways um esau is offering to leave some of his troops with them but jacob says no that's okay you know we'll We'll be okay on our own here, which I think is kind of that, kind of goes to that Middle Eastern, oh, let me help you. Oh, no, no, couldn't possibly. Oh, yes, please. I don't understand all of the intricacies of that uh, offering help and declining help. The gratitude banter. Yeah, because sometimes they end up saying, well, okay. And in this case, um, Jacob ends up saying, no, really, it's okay. And then um, he goes his own way and Esau takes all his guys. And then uh, Jacob... Uh, comes safely, this is in uh, chapter 33, verse 18, J Jacob comes safely to the city of Shechem. 
And then he uh, pitched his tent there and settles down. And then the trouble of uh, chapter 34 starts. Yeah, and what a story we got there. Now, before we go, though, does it, it doesn't seem like Jacob and Esau really ever did see each other again, though. Don't recall that they have much interaction in the future, no. no. I don't like anything else. Let's just part friends, it seems. You know, but I wonder if that was enough for both of their hearts. You know, I think the sins of the past were were forgiven, and now they could, I think, go their way, you know, feeling better about the whole thing. I'm not here to get anything. Um, I offer you what little I have, and now we're just going to move on. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it. And it's interesting that with the exception of the spiritual birthright, all of the scheming and all of the 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 aftermath and the fallout of all this, it doesn't do Jacob any good. Like he didn't end up with any of the you know financial birthright or any of these other things. It, he, it was a great loss. He never saw his mother again. Uh, he was estranged from his brother, and all of this for what God had already promised him. Yeah, it was a lot of uh, there was a lot of wasted effort, maybe. Of course, I don't know. Prophecies, prophecies are when a prophecy is going to come true, it's going to come true. But sometimes I got to wonder if they come true because God already knows how things. Are, well, of course they come through true because God knows how they're going to come true. You yeah, know, absolutely, definitely. You know? I was just, I was, I was explaining, explaining the story of Oedipus to, uh, my, my, my son last night. Gross. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. But you know, if you, if you're familiar with that story, it's like the, 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 the prophecy in that story comes true because the king tries to act on it to keep it from coming true, you know? And in here, uh, it seems as if possibly the prophecy comes true because, um, Jacob's mother tries to make it come true. Yeah, but I'm sure it would have come true in a in a less yeah drastic uh, way. yeah a less costly way to everybody involved. Yeah, I'm sure glad I never intervene in God's will for my life and mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think that that's the I think that's a theme I see throughout these patriarchs, and is that we have to be totally just ready for God to keep his promise. And submissive. What was that, Tracy? Or we have to be totally prepared and submissive to to what God's will is. And the minute that we lose ourself, then God can take control and and um, accomplish what he needs to in his way. But the yes. minute we try to intervene with, you know, something humanistic, then all plans are off. And in essence, the, that's when the trouble is. When yes. we, you know, bend God's will to ours, which will never yes. work. Yeah. Yep. Okay, let's move on into 34. And... Okay. Yeah, so now you might recall here a while back when all the children were being listed off, uh, there was a daughter that was named Dinah. And at the time, you might have been thinking that was very interesting that they would name the daughter when um, women, I don't know, from our perspective, seem to get overlooked a lot in the Bible. But they had specifically 
named Dinah. Well, um, this might be why in chapter 34. Yeah, um, she shows up again. Yeah. Um, Dinah went on a, a little trip to go, it says, see the daughters of the land. I don't, I don't really know what that means. She's shopping, Matt. She's shopping. <laughs> okay. Jeez. She's going to the mall in town, man. Yes. <laughs> so probably just to see some friends, you think, and, and hang out. Um, while she is away, uh, this is she's she's away from Jacob's household. Uh, somehow, she meets up with this guy named Shechem. I you know, the city is named after. Yeah. Uh, oh, let's see. Yeah, Shechem, son of Hamor. Yeah. <laughs> so um, she ends up with him somehow. It would be interesting to know how they met, how they had interacted up to this point. But uh, the gist of it is Shechem rapes her. And there's really, there's really no nice way to say that because there's nothing nice about it. Um, but essentially he rapes her. And then decides afterwards that he'd like to marry her. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's... I don't know if there's anything redeeming. kindly after the fact. Yeah. Right. yeah. Which is a big deal, because think about this. Even in today's, in some uh, Middle Eastern cultures, if, um, if a woman is assaulted like that, the woman is guilty, and then they kill the woman. Yeah. And so in this case, although we find the whole thing distasteful, as did her family, um, at least this guy Shechem was like, oh, you know what? I'm I'm not going to blame you. I'm not, I don't want to bring shame on your family. I want to marry you. And it sounds like Shechem's trying to do the right thing here. Um, after, I mean, after he's done the wrong thing, let's be clear about that. Yeah. Um, but that he's doing this, which is interesting. It's interesting that I, I made note of this before this thing happens. In verse 2, um, Shechem is basically saying that, hey, look, I want you to be part of us by violence. He's like, you can't do anything about it. And then in verse 9, they want the now fledgling Israelites to um, integrate with the people of the land by invitation. It's like, hey, come on over here. It'll be great. Yeah. And then, um, it, so so there. This begins the long, long, long pattern of Israel integrating with uh, the people of the land. So you know, as far as this goes, what we what we have apparently, and we sh- we see this actually show up again in uh, chapter thirty eight, is this idea of doing the right thing within their culture. And, yeah. I mean, I don't know Shechem's culture well enough to know, is he doing the right thing? But it, it appears to be. I mean, he's not throwing her out. He's not, he's like, hey, let's do this. <clears throat> and then uh, then um, Judah and his brothers act deceitfully. In uh, verse 13, the sons of Jacob answered Shechem deceitfully. So they set up this whole scam of having all of the uh, males... Uh, circumcised so that they're all in uh, in supposedly these guys think they're going to be integrating with uh, with Jacob and all of his sons but they set it up so that 
these guys are all in pain and basically incapacitated, and they go in and murder everybody and take all their stuff and people. And this is this is how they bring honor back to their sister. And it doesn't it doesn't really uh, put Jacob's sons in a good light. I have a no. question, and I just want to kind of jump back, and, and just for some clarification. So we kind of look at, you know, the part of him violating her. And and with that kind of violence and, and rape and that kind of thing, you don't usually get a person that speaks highly of another and then goes and tells their father what they had done and want her as a wife. Yeah. You know, and I wondered, and it, and you know, going back to like verse two, took her, lay with her, and violated her. So, you know, I'm wondering too if, if the violation part is more, you know, I'm I'm kind of struggling with the, the rape part. Now, it just doesn't, as it plays out, it doesn't kind of make sense. So, where we think of something that violent and that it would almost want to be hidden, but. Um, Shechem just goes and basically tells everybody and is telling them like he's in love with her. Oh yeah, so for sure. Okay, so violation part is that it was not a, um, a norm in society to to maybe have sex before you were married. Married, and that was the violation part. But we never hear of um, um, Dinah part, Dinah's part at all. You know? Yeah, I I a little bit think along the same lines. Um, what you know? What does rape mean? Mean violence. So rape means uh, some form of coercion. Okay, but then he still has her. Like when the brothers go back later and they murder all the men in town, they get Dinah from his house at that point. Like he's had her the whole time. Yeah, even I was though he's negotiating. Her. Yeah, he's he's negotiating a bride price and he's trying to do all this stuff, and he still has her. Right. So it's a very odd story. It's like, you know, like I wonder if what it's is a violation of social norms at that point, where it still was the brothers were mad. It's like, hey, you disgraced our family, or it was, you know, the whole situation was a disgrace, and and right. that's done. But you know, I think too, this plays out even as you look farther down the road with with Levi. This cost his the tribe of Levi a lot. You know, they were basically, you know, if we when we continue to read and get to that part, no blessings were giving to given to them at all. It was so like had no to, inheritance, no inheritance. They had to they had to come and I, I don't want to say work their way back, but prove themselves all over again as a tribe. Based Do you think on that was because of this one incident? I think they were kind of shunned after that. The brother was what? the brothers were. But what about the tribe of Simeon? Simeon was there also, and they got plenty of blessings. I always assumed that Levi, the tribe of Levi's lack of inheritance was because there's they had an, the ongoing support of working in the temple, which took slices of everybody's income. But Simeon's tribe wasn't, you know, this, the tribe of Simeon wasn't penalized like that. But I don't think Levi's tribe jumped back into that part of being able to work in the temple until they... They really stood up for God and and said during the when everybody was worshiping the golden calf, they were like, "No, we're not doing that." Mm. I think yeah, there's that, a lot of interesting things that play forward in their these. way back. 
you know, with another sign of maybe faith and trust in God. But at this point, I don't, I think that had a big long lasting cost to them. Well, it's interesting that, um, in 30, we don't really know because the thing is we say they had acted dishonorably, uh, that, that Shechem had. And, and it, it appears to be from our perspective in time. And, but, but, you know, you guys bring up a good point is that from, from, from their viewpoint, this was very shameful, but Tracy, you're right. There's something odd because from Shechem's viewpoint, it's almost kind of like, Oh, this is how we do business because they didn't, it's, it's interesting that nobody on Shechem's town suspected anything was up. No, I'm the prince of this town, so I really can do what I want. And this is... Well, or this maybe that was normal. Me. If I want somebody, I'll just take them. Yeah, but maybe that was normal in their world. I don't know. You know, but I think, too, looking at this, you know, once again, it's a, it, a bad situation all around. And yes. I think it just gets compounded. But then I think there's some thought behind the... You know, there's a method to the madness that you might say, because they knew they were, number one, they were out, outnumbered. So they needed to equalize it some way. And I think that that's when the brothers got together and said, what's, what's the equalizer? How can we, how can we reduce the strength and the numbers of these people to, to bend it to our advantage? Schemers like their dad. Yes. This is what we're going to do. And it is sometimes you look at the lineages and the the sins of the father and see that those those some of those attributes are passed down. Yeah. You know this this took some scheming and conniving to really sit there and think how can we have the advantage over um, another enemy that is basically has more people than we do. Yeah, I'm going to point out that that at least as I read it. Nowhere in here do I see that this is one of those, quote, Old Testament, God says, go in and kill everybody things. No. This was, this was their idea. This was their scheme. Um, and nowhere does it say, oh, and they prayed about it and God said, go do this. This was of their own doing. And then in verse 30, Jacob says, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land. Mm-hmm. So there's... Mm, it's not the same as if they sought God's wisdom on this. They just kind of said, hey, this seems like a good idea to us. Yeah. And they did it. You've turned us into a family of killers. We're, we're strangers in this land. We bought a piece of land to settle out here that we were supposed to just kind of abide in peacefully. And you changed that. You wiped out an entire city, including the prince of the city. Yep. Which I'm yeah. sure did not make them very popular people in the area. Yeah, this is another one of those instances where bad behavior is included in the Bible. Yes. Uh, and But nowhere does it say that uh, God told them to do it. Right. Um, and it, it was it, that... The, sorry, Matt, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it, it's a, to me, it's another, it's another instance that lends legitimacy to the Bible as truth. Because if you were going to make something up, why would you include the bad behavior in your quote-unquote heroes. Oh, and we're not done. No, we get all the way through chapter 38. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All the way through to the end of Revelation, we'll still be examining bad behavior. (laughs) That is is for sure. You know, but I looked at it, and it it just didn't stop with the killing. You know, that was one thing to say, you know, it was our honor that was was, um, betrayed here during this whole situation. 
and I'm going to go and wipe out every male that's there. It didn't stop there, though. Well, I, yeah. If how it was compounded is, okay, now let's go and get all the stuff that's there. Let's, yeah. If they were they looking... Eat it? No. Yeah. If they were looking just for justice, they would have gone just after Shechem. Right. But yeah. they went after the entire, the entire city. Yeah. Um, Verse 29, all their wealth and their little ones and their wives. It's like, I don't really know how... You, that makes things fair. Yeah. It doesn't, no, in my it mind. It doesn't. And, well, and Jacob didn't think so either, obviously. Yeah. Well, let's, let's cruise on through. 35, ready to go there? Sure. Yep. So, God tells Jacob uh, to go to Bethel. Let's see here. Rise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. So, he wants him to live there, make an altar, and it's in, I think, let's see, chapter, verse 2. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. That was interesting to me, being, okay, this is now Israel. This is the beginning of the Israelite nation. This is, this is, these are the people who are supposed to be following the one God, and yet still within his household is idolatry. Um, and we know we know that uh, um, 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 Rachel, Rachel Rachel tried to bring this in with her when they left Laban's house. They buried him. Yeah, she. You know, she tried to hide it, but it just, I, you know, I thought that was interesting to begin with that she brought that with her. Yeah, but I don't. Yeah, I just find it very interesting that it, this is still an issue. Now that we are, I mean, in my way of thinking, this is this is officially the nation of Israel now because he is Israel. He's got his twelve sons who will be becoming the twelve tribes, but there's still he still has to tell everybody, okay, let's let's get rid of this stuff, and uh, uh, so that we can move forward. Yeah, and, that's a that's a recurring theme. Hey guys, put that uh, other stuff away. Get back to God. Yeah. So he tells, you know, put away the gods. Um, let's see, put away the foreign gods. Let's see here. Somewhere it was talking about earrings. Verse 4. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. Now, I know this verse has been used by a lot of people sometimes to say that as followers of God, Christians... We shouldn't wear jewelry. And I think maybe that's been taken a little too far. I mean, of course, too much jewelry is, not, is a detraction. But um, the point here doesn't seem to be simply that they were wearing jewelry and needed to get rid of it. No. Uh, because it's, it's lumped in with the idolatry. Yes. So there, um, I was reading somewhere that... Actually, it was uh, it was in in uh, Dennis Prager's book, and he was talking about how very likely this jewelry was inscribed with some kind of pagan symbolism. So that in that case, it literally was more idolatry and more uh, more devotion to God other than Jehovah Yahweh El, whatever they were calling him at this point. I guess it wouldn't have been Jehovah at that point, but. Um, but to God. Yeah, this is the context of um, 
getting ready to meet God. And it's an interesting thing. I just was reading in Mark, uh, Jesus's interaction with the rich young ruler, uh, in which he came and he said, well, what do I do to inherit, you know, eternal life? And they, Jesus had a conversation with him and he said, you know, well, Jesus said, well, what do you think? He said, well, it's to, it's to honor God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're right. And the guy's like, oh, okay. So there's like, there's, but I thought there was going to be something else. And Jesus says, well, now there's only one thing between you and where we need to be. And you need to give up your wealth. And mm-hmm. that's not, that's not a verse that I, I hear, um, uh, rich conservatives quoting a whole lot. <laughs> oh, let's give up your wealth. But, but in this case, I think it was, it, that was the, to, to, to come to the point on this is that that was the thing that prevented this young man from following Jesus. Yeah. Right. And anything that we have, whether it's in this case, the clothes they were wearing and their foreign gods and their earrings, whatever they were, that's what they needed to give up. Mm-hmm. And the rich young man needed to give up his wealth. And the disciples, the ones who were fishermen, needed to walk away from their fishing. Um, Matthew needed to walk away from his career as a tax collector. That's not a universal like, and everybody has to do this same thing. Yep. It's just not like that. Is it when God comes and says, I want you to follow me, and in order for you to follow me, you need to set aside fill in the blank. We need to be willing to set aside the fill in the blank thing, whatever that so, is. Ahead, I think, and, and I, I think that this occurs on an individual level. Yes. And I think that it occurs in a phase of history level. Like as the world develops and shifts and changes, societies, you know, develop different standards. And when it comes time to get back to God, maybe some of those standards are wrong. Right. And I, so I think some of this, is, some of this can be cultural. Like if you if you go down to the book of Revelation, it, it's talking about the phases of the Christian church. It talks about like what the major weakness was of each phase of the Christian church and what they needed to do in order to get back to God. And it was either it was either beginning to do something, going back to doing something or giving something up or or some, you know, combination of all of those things. But um, I think it's in a way we humans who like predictable formulas. If I do this, this and this, I get this result. Okay, that's removed. Because, because it because it is individual. God looks down; He sees our heart. He knows everything about us, and He says, "You follow Me, and in order to follow Me, do this." But then, in a wider swath, you know, we we develop sort of community consciousness and community standards, and sometimes those need to bend or give or stretch. So it's 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 a it's kind of a beautiful artistic process, um, also extremely uncomfortable if you're on the receiving end sometimes. I think it comes into play, though, with the same kind of formula that you look at with the conflict that's going on between God and Satan, in that Satan is going to use whatever is all the rage then. Because I look at it now, and, you know, for for our children, per se, that if I tell them, you know, back in my day, the the only thing that mattered to me was, you know, my bike. So if that was getting, getting in front of God, then, you know, remove the bike. But now... Nowadays, my son will be like, here, I'll gladly give you the bike because I want to stay with my Switch all day. 
Right. Yeah. You know, that's the thing that's being put in front of there is those where we at where where we are at at this current time that we put things above God. Is it technology that we're putting above God? You know, you know, is it all the stuff we've acquired? So I think it's that fill in the blank part that Eric was talking about, that it can be anything to anyone. Even Issue the most, du jour. Yes. Even the most poor person that's there can have something within their possession that they might put above God. You know, i.e. the disciples in fishing. Well, you know what? You go to a rich person and fishing might not be his issue. You know, it will be money. But I think it's it's different and individual for each person. But I think it still goes along with where we're at as a society and how Satan tries to bombard us with with other things that takes our eyes off God. Absolutely. You see that with Pilate. He was ready to release Jesus, but he yep. wanted to remain in the favor of the people. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so for him, it was public praise. And he was he was not willing to make that trade. So, yep. Yeah, they gave up what they needed to give up. So they give up what they give. And the very next verse is interesting because uh, some of what just we just talked about in chapter thirty-four, I think we're starting to see some repercussions here. It tells us that let's see, the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So it sounds like what had happened had gotten around. People people knew that these were not. This was not a group of boys to mess around with. I wonder how large uh, Jacob's household was at this point, because obviously it's more than just him and 12 rowdy boys or men. I mean, I, I don't know how old they were, but for entire cities to kind of be afraid of them as they're traveling around, that's that's kind of interesting. But they wiped out a whole entire city. <laughs> they wiped out a whole well, city. I think we need to remember that when we talk about cities, <laughs> um, you know, well, yeah. Here, that they they might have been more like a a, a hamlet or a village <laughs> or one of those towns in the Midwest you can drive through in about fifteen seconds if you're obeying the speed limit, you know, yeah. which is not to downplay the, the any of the facts here because although the town was smaller, you know Jacob's group was smaller, and so on scale, I think things were were relative, and the point is not lost. So they're journeying. They they do all their thing. Now, you know, we get to the deaths of uh, Rachel and Isaac. And so is, is there something earlier in there you guys speak up? Because I have a, a shocker that came to me at the end of this chapter. I want to hear it. Yeah, well, well, I mean, the only thing I could see real quickly is that Deborah, there's a Deborah that's named here. It's the only time we hear about her. We do hear about a different Deborah back in the book of Judges. And she's she's buried below. Let's see, buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So we don't hear about this Deborah again, but we do hear about a different Deborah and a tree called. Let's see here. Uh, this is Judges four five. They call it the palm tree of Deborah. So it's kind of like this little tree got a little. I'm thinking it seems like this little tree got a little bit of honor, and maybe the Deborah we hear about later. Uh, maybe her name is honoring this other Deborah, who was a nurse to, if I remember right, she was a nurse to Rebecca. Rachel. Who's, Re who's? oh yeah, Rebecca's nurse, Rebecca's nurse. So anyway, she had gained some kind of honor. I mean, it's just a very brief thing, and we don't hear about her much more after this. But I, I just, I always find it interesting when women are, are specifically pointed out, even when it's just, you know, briefly, 
it's clear that she had gained quite the honor here. You know, but I think if you look back at like nurses um, during that time frame, this was your nurse probably from birth. This is the yeah. person that went with you everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Did everything for you and was there during, you know, your growing up, your journey into womanhood, your children, and now, you know, and sometimes even death if they died early. So th- I think this was more like, you know, one of those esteemed companions. The yeah. hand that rocks the cradle. Yeah. And then uh, God reaffirms that Jacob is Israel. Yep. We still don't hear about that much after this. Um, and he reaffirms the covenant. And Rachel, as you said, we get to Rachel, and she dies giving birth to the twelfth son of Israel, Benjamin. And, and I then think there's some that, more bad behavior. That in the midst of all this trouble, again, God is there to say, you know what, listen, I still have a plan for you. Even mm-hmm. though you've went off on this tangent again, I still have a plan for you. Don't forget the don't forget the plan. So two couple things here. One yeah. is verse twenty-two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reuben went in and lay with Billah, his father's concubine, and Israel, that is his dad, heard about it, and that's it. It just kind of moves right on, like nothing ever happened. But this <laughs> indiscretion that we see here—that's like, oh well, he went. This comes back, and yes. when the sons are blessed individually, and each of their tribes is given a kind of a forecast Reuben I mean Reuben takes it right on the nose um, <laughs> yes. and he he and and this is the thing and his descendants know mm-hmm. all deal with his actions and this is it's just a it's a thing to it just illustrates again we may think, oh, well, it was just one thing. It only affects me. But this did not only affect him. Yeah. You know, I wonder well, if it falls into the honor thy parents kind of thing where, you know what? Oh, sure. It, it'll get you. Yeah. Now, his reasoning for this is interesting to me, though, because you got to think, okay, this was with uh, Bilhah, who was Rachel's servant, and Reuben was Leah's son, am I correct? Leah's son. Yeah, he's the oldest, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it, it's, it seems like maybe, or there's a possibility that the reason he did this, I mean, she's literally old enough to be his mother, though she's not. Um, maybe. Yeah, well, that's true. She could have been very young. But at any rate, um, I was seeing some speculation here that the reason he did this may have been to keep any more children coming from Rachel, the one who was not his mother. Now, I say Rachel because you know how when a, someone's servant would have a child, the woman could claim the child as her own. But that this could have been some way to uh, discredit Rachel from being able to have any more children by any means. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, I'd be surprised <clears throat> if it was terribly altruistic, but it could have been. Yeah, yeah, I, they, they, yeah, they didn't seem like they were all dialed in with what God was wanting them to do. Yeah. So, one of the other things that I noticed down here is in uh, verse twenty-eight. Now, the days of Isaac were one hundred and eighty years, and I don't know about you guys, but when Jacob was scheming to steal the birthright, I, 
I had it in my mind that his father was like just about on death's door. You know, he, he had, he had one foot, you know, uh, ready to kick the bucket and the other one stepping on a banana peel. And, (laughs) and this is over 20 years later. I don't know how many years later, but it's, he lived a long time after this, which in a way is, is kind of sad because his, he's been separated from, um, Israel, Jake, for all these years, he has been blind, at least literally, maybe even metaphorically, to how this promise is unfolding. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, well, he was blind back when the thing happened with the boys. Because that's my point is that he's yeah. been he's been he's been blind this whole time, and I guess part of that is to me it's a surprise. It's like, wow, yeah, he was still here this whole time, and then some. But the idea that no no misfortune befalls those that God loves, or that everything will be easy for you, it's just not true. Yeah, well, that that kind of speaks to sin in general. I mean, all the bad things that happen in the world is is from the results of sin. But it doesn't necessarily mean that my you know I've done something that has very specifically affected you. But there's just repercussions that that radiate out i mean call it the butterfly effect maybe if you want to but you know it all it all uh results in uh bad things happening everywhere to everybody to everyone to everyone i think that it's just like you you know we were saying it it is the ripple effect it just doesn't happen to one person but it involves a lot of players that that um are affected you know and you look at it he lost everything his two kids had to leave. His wife died. And now, you know, and I see Eric's point. Yeah, you know, he didn't have good sight, you know. So he's there by himself. Who was he living with? Do you think so, he was with Esau? I've got this Bible that has kind of scholars' best guess as the timeline of the Bible. And back in chapter 27, when Jacob obtains the blessing, it says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, right? And that's when that whole sort of trick came into being. And and so my Bible has it listed as roughly 1760. And then when you come forward to this chapter, it's roughly 1716, 1-6. So a lot of time has passed and Isaac has just kind of been blind and has, you know, losing his losing his people. Wow been blind for almost a normal you know a normal life i say normal or one of our lifespans right but don't you don't you guys remember how the well, bible talked of, about abraham like there know. was that whole oh well i'm too old to have children and you know mm-hmm. when abraham was old and full of years and the child of his old age and on and on like this and then sarah dies and then oh hey abraham takes a third wife and has a bunch more kids and then finally dies at 175 so it's like what does old mean? Like I, there were so many times when they described Abraham as old and he just kept ticking. And then he's got this whole other generation of kids that he turned out. And so it's like, wow, guys. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. So 36 has a lot of who begat whom and stuff like this. Um, but Tracy, you were talking about, um, the repercussions of things. Mm Mm-hmm. 
wow, we see some names that show up later over and over and over and over in the Bible. We see that the uh, Esau was the father of the Edomites, which mm-hmm. shows yeah. up again. Right. <clears throat> He's the grandfather of Amalek, the Amalekites. Right. We just, uh, it's this idea that what we do, it's like, nope, this is just me and it only affects me, is not, does not hold true. Yeah, there were several names there that kind of, and there were probably more, but just off the cuff as I was reading through some of the names that that uh, just rung a bell with me, uh, like Eliphaz seems to me like that name will come back. Uh, Rule seems like I remember yeah. that name from somewhere. Uh, you already mentioned Amalek um, and Korah. So I, you know, I can't right now. I can't think of of why those names, all of them, are ringing a bell with me. But I'm I'm almost positive that we we uh, interact with them again later yep yeah i'm just throwing this out there because we just briefly mentioned it before is okay so isaac was there we somebody made the assumption that maybe esau was there with him you figure there would be a little bit more spiritual guidance but he never had that greater relationship to begin with but well i don't know esau was kind of isaac or uh yeah, Esau was kind of Isaac's favorite son. Um, but remember when they when um, when Isaac and Rebecca sent Jacob off to go find a wife among Rebecca's people, and then Esau at that point already had two wives, and and it said that it that he realized at that point how offensive his wives were to his parents, and he went and lived with Ishmael. Did he live with Ishmael? He picked the wives from there anyways. Yeah. Right. You know, so then I'm, you know, I'm wondering, and I'm sitting here going back, and it's like, you know, you thought there would be, maybe been a little bit more guidance there, but no. Doesn't it doesn't seem like it. These aren't the greatest of names this, or people that came out of that lineage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, they weren't the promised ones. No. A lot of begats, a lot of things that, uh, quite frankly, that's not my uh, cup of tea to uh, yeah. <clears throat> to track it's down. It's important for historic sake, but it is. there's not a lot of there's not a lot of spiritual takeaway from it. Not not that we see in this culture, anyway. So yeah, but it's included. I think it's it would be hard to say it was all made up. They got a lot of people that show up all over the place in other. It, exactly, and it's another one of those situations. Map. When you can when you can name specific people back generation generation generation, it it's still there again. It, it lends some credence to what's going on with the Bible here. Were you going to say something, Tracy? No, I think that's absolutely right. It just kind of gives us a way to look back and and honestly, the way I feel, it's look back and see exactly what went wrong. Yeah. All right. Well. We are going to dip our toes into what is one of the most famous stories of the Bible here. And it's only, we only get a brief chapter here, and then next week we'll talk more about him. But we get into the story of Joseph that we all really know. Joseph, uh, at this point, he's 17 years old. Anybody who has a teenager in their house knows that teenagers can be... Horrible creatures. <laughs> Horrible creatures. Challenging. <laughs> Challenging, yeah. Oh, um, okay. My bad. <laughs> but he goes out. For it. 
Yeah. So he's out with some of his brothers. Now, th- this this struck me here interesting because it was always in my head that um, he had been out with all of his brothers while they were out uh, tending the sheep or whatever. Says um, he brought back a bad report about his brothers, but he what he he brings back a bad report about the sons of Bilhah and Zil- Zilpah. So, uh, and not anything about um, Leah's kids. I just I just found that interesting that it was specifically the sons of the servants who Joseph was telling on. Um, well, it doesn't say that any other any other wives' sons were there. So right, right. that's an assumption. Yeah, but yeah, but he brings back his bad report about specifically those sons. Mm-hmm. Um. But here we get to the crux of the problem again is favoritism by the father towards Joseph. Yep. Um, And this goes all the way back because he didn't he he, he had kind of gotten stuck with wives or a wife that he didn't necessarily want but still uh, had children with. But now he's got the son from the wife that he really did want. And he's clearly, clearly, clearly showing to everybody involved that he prefers Jacob over any of them by giving, giving him this. Uh, does he, did he give him the coat here? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Gives There's him this three. very special, says, tunic of many colors. Um, now... The little tiny bit I know about the way things, you know, you know, textiles were made back then. Pretty much anything with color in it was going to be very, very expensive. Money. You know, some, some colors, some colors were almost impossible to do because of the way they did them. I mean, some colors like red and purple, you had to have. The only way they knew how to do it was from specific crushing up specific little beetles or something like that, and they yeah. weren't that easy to find. But so giving him this this colored tunic to wear, then, you know, I think we all kind of imagine it as being rainbow colored. If you've ever seen Joseph and his amazing Technicolor uh, dream coat, dream coat. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, which surprisingly, I ended up enjoying more than I thought I would when I saw it. I, I, I expected it to just kind of uh, not take the story seriously and even though it has some humorous aspects to it it's really not a bad rendition of the story of joseph yeah, it actually follows the story a lot closer yeah. than most yeah. other retellings of bible stories yeah i was very surprised i mean even though uh you know pharaoh takes on the persona of elvis presley but you know um, hey we don't know what er- you know he could have had <laughs> sideburns we don't know <laughs> yeah so anyway we're getting ahead of ourselves there though no but, but to your point the, yeah. the favoritism goes very badly we see it happen again um, I'm struck by the idea um, that Joseph, he seems just a little bit like a, maybe a social misfit. The things that he says yep. to his brothers and even to his, even to his father, yep. everybody's like, dude, did you, do you realize what you're talking about? Do you like yeah. how awkward what you're doing is? And Joseph doesn't seem to, I mean, from what I read here, Joseph doesn't seem to 
be struck that what he's doing is it's pretty much out of line. Yeah, he I just noticed that to too, of... and I and I couldn't decide whether to take it as just the sheer arrogance of always being so cherished that it never occurs to you that something might come out of your mouth and be stupid, or if he was a social misfit. Like there, can, you can have lack of self awareness for several reasons. One of which you're too precious to everybody around you or to certain people around you, and so you actually believe you're th- that you're that precious and you can't do anything bad, but. But you can also just be an awkward personality, and who knows which one this was, or maybe it was both. But yeah, he just he just blurts out these things, and you're like, why? You know, but I think I think it could be both, though. Like you're saying, is that he was so privileged and probably never was reprimanded about anything. So maybe it was a lack of filters and that awkwardness of that wasn't the norm that he that children were treated like that, and they were workers. And I don't. He well, doesn't. His, his dad does rebuke him. Worker type. You know, his yeah, dad but, rebukes him. But you know what? Maybe we're reading in here because we don't really know the inflection that he used when he was telling him, "Hey guys, listen to this dream that I had. You guys are all going to be bowing down to me." You know? <laughs> yeah, but he's the fact that his father calls him on it mm-hmm. is is a thing that to me says. Um, that he was out of line in some way, which is really interesting because as we follow the arc of his story, we see his, we see him grow. We see Joseph grow intact and um, in his circumspect behavior. Like he's, we see him grow as a character. Mm -hmm. It makes it stand to reason that he had to be, he had to be taken down a peg or two and broken again and have to work and to have um, misfortune and hardship where maybe early in life it kind of shows that maybe he didn't have that. Um, But also keep in mind, like we said earlier, he's a teenager here. He's a kid and kids aren't known for their great perspective or their self-control or their, you know what I mean? Like he's a kid. He He is immature and that's not an insult because he's actually immature. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Now, I think it's interesting. In verse eleven, uh, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. his father knows the significance of dreams. Think about that. His mm-hmm. father has had some very significant visions, and his father knows. Hey. Some of this stuff is like can be the real deal from God, and although he, you know, barked at him and uh, in in a previous verse, you know, will your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? It's I mean, but at the same time, he keeps it in mind, like, hey, hmm, this probably means something. And do you guys remember where that phrase shows up again? Um, but it wasn't his father. That's right. That's what what was that, Karen? I missed it. Mary. Oh, yeah. Yep. And his mother, and what is it? And his mother uh, remembered these, or treasured things, and these things, treasured them in her heart or something like that. Yeah. 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 That, that, that struck in me, too. Yeah. That's so a fascinating thing how through this whole story that somewhere in the back of uh, – Israel's mind was the there was the idea that man this could come true and think about that especially in light of when he 
ostensibly disappears and is killed. He's like, well, that's it. You know, I had thought that this dream meant something. I thought it was significant, but wow, that's the end of the dream, which is yeah. really powerful because God had something cooking that he didn't know anything about. Right. Yeah. Okay, so the next section in here, and I, I've got a, I've got a potential discrepancy with this. Uh, the next section in here in my Bible is titled "Joseph Sold by His Brothers." So uh, Jacob sends Joseph out to check on his brothers. He goes to one place; they're not there. He's told they're in another place. Um, so uh, in Dothan, Dothan, he goes and he find, and when he's 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 finding them, and as he's walking up, his brothers see him and they plan to kill him. Um, but they decide, okay, let's not necessarily kill him. Let's toss him down in this pit. And um, eventually they decide, you know what, let's sell him to slavers. Now, um, let's see here. It says, i got to find it exactly here. Okay, there's, there's two different groups of people that get involved here. And maybe I'm missing something. It talks about how Ishmaelites are coming. And yeah. they're going to sell him to the Ishmaelites. That's in verse 27, okay? Verse 28. Yeah. Verse 28. Then Midianite traders passed by. Now, in my Bible, here in the uh, New King James, the next words are in italics, which means that translators added them. It says, so the brothers, that's in italics, pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit. I looked this up in different verses, and in, um, like in an Orthodox Jewish Bible, and in, I think it was in a literal translation, that word is, those words are just translated as they, which would imply the Midianite traders pulled Joseph out and sold him to the Ishmaelites. Rather than the brothers, the brothers talked about doing it, but then the Midianites were the ones who actually did it. Mm. So, sort of, I don't know. Is there, am I missing something there? Are the Midianites... I don't think so. I think that they, the reason it just says they is because it wasn't all of the brothers who did it. Because earlier you have Reuben in 22 saying, Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So Reuben's plan was, okay, he's in the pit, but don't kill him. And then go about your business. And the Reuben's plan was to come back, pull him yeah. out of the pit and send him back to dad. And so, and it's, in, yeah, it's clear that Reuben wasn't there when he got sold because he did go back to look for him, and he's surprised he's not there. Um, but why? What's this deal with? Are are Midianites and Ishmaelites the same people? Yes. Or yeah. are they okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're the same because his brothers don't feel remorse. They feel personal remorse later when they meet Joseph. They say yeah. this thing that we have done. Otherwise, it'd been like, oh man, we're so glad to see you. They're like. Well, we put you in that hole. We came back and you're gone. We didn't yeah, even know what happened you? to you. Okay. Right. They know. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so that that was where I was. I just I didn't understand why they're called Midianites and Ishmaelites in the same verse. Well, I think I one's think, where they're from they're... and one's who they are. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. That makes sense. So at any rate, the po real point here is that Joseph gets sold into Egypt, and that that plays huge for the fu for his future and the future of Israel. Um, and as I said, Reuben, Reuben didn't know what happened, so he clearly wasn't there when the other brothers sold him. Yeah, I had a note in here that's an interesting, well, to me, it's, it's, uh, it's a couple things. One is that when the brothers say, let's kill him, that's not the typical 
um, us saying, oh, I'm so mad I could kill you. These brothers had literally done that to a whole town. Yes. Okay. They're a, they're a rough bunch. Yeah, so they're not kidding when they say that. And in verse 32, when they bring the, um, when they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father uh, and said, uh, we found this, please identify it whether your sons or not. They're, they think that they're not telling a lie. They're letting their father come to a false conclusion, but they yeah. are telling a lie. Yeah. A lie is a lie. They are facilitating untruth. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's a thing that we sometimes uh, today justify. Well, if you come to the wrong conclusion on your own, it's uh, not my fault. <laughs> Actually, it is. Yeah. Yep. And ultimately, Joseph gets sold to Potiphar, the captain of the guard to the pharaoh um, in Egypt. And for now, we leave Joseph there in in Egypt. And that is going to play huge, huge for uh, the nation of Israel in the future. So that looks like about the time we have for this week. We want to thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, we want to remind you that... You can email us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. If you have any kind of questions or comments, if you want to just uh, tell us we're full of beans or, or, you know, give us high praise. We'll take either one. We don't care. Uh, You can find us on Facebook. Just search for Adventure Through the Bible. And we want to ask you to remember, share this podcast with your friends, with your families, with your neighbors, with your enemies. We want everybody to listen. We want to hear it. And the best way that's going to happen is if you share it with your friends. Yes. Uh, and, re- and remember to subscribe to us. Uh, you can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, just about anywhere that you can find podcasts. So uh, and if you really want to find us somewhere else, let me know, and, and uh, we'll see about getting it on there. We're on a lot of different places already but um just let us know but definitely let us know how we're doing and uh make sure you share with your friends in the meantime we want to uh, again thank you for listening and we will talk to you again next week stay safe, stay safe.